welcome back to the Real Professional Podcast. Uh, the Dread X Collection Collection, our collection of episodes about the Dread X Collection. This is for Volume 2. Uh, we're doing all the Volume 2 episodes up to the release and a little bit after the release of the Dread X Collection 2. Uh, by the time this episode goes live, the game should already be available on Steam. So go ahead and uh, check it out. You know, it's it's on Steam for just ten bucks. Uh, and we got a, we got a really cool guest today. We got the Bathosphere Labs team, uh, a team of four people. So it's it's going to be a big one. And uh, they're here to talk about their game, The Diving Bell. So uh, I'm sure you've been watching a ton of streamers play the game. I'm sure you've seen all the five out of five perfect score reviews that have been coming in. And uh, just you just need to know as much as you can. So you know, tune in for that. And uh, anyways, it's probably going to be a long one today. So let's just go ahead and get started. And DJ, drop that sick beat. Zach Viola, Cody Reader, and Aiden Cushing, who together make up uh, Bathosphere Labs games. Was it Bathosphere Labs games or just Bathosphere Labs? Did we ever decide on that? I don't think we did. I think we kind of settled on Bathosphere Labs. That's like what's on all the branding, but... Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I kind of de facto made it Bathosphere Labs. Yeah. Rolled up the tongue better. Yeah. I dig the studio name. It's like a really dope studio name. Thank you. It was actually one of two proposed titles for the game. Yeah, I remember that, actually. Yeah, now I remember back, way back. God, it feels like forever ago. It really isn't that long, you know? It does, it does feel like forever ago. It's just crazy, because it's like, you know, we, we didn't start this whole collection thing until April of this year. And that's not very long ago, but it feels like it feels like these last few months have been my whole life. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Which is good. I guess that's how you live forever, is that you just have enough densely packed days that by the time you reach 80, you're like, I'm done. I did all of the things. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. It was literally like, I got the I got the notify that I was like getting into Dread, you know, getting into Dread X2. And then like three days later, we settled on an apartment. And uh, I've been working on like other commission pieces through this whole process. So the last like three, four weeks of my life have literally been, like, nonstop movement, and then now it's just, like, I'm sitting at my desk, like, you know, bumping my fingers together, like, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, do we need to specify who each one of us are? Because there are so many of us. Oh, God, yeah. We should probably do that. <laughs> um, so, uh, just real quick, uh, why don't you each, because I already introduced all of you, why don't the, the four of you just go down the line, uh, and and we'll start with I'll just, I'll just do a roll call here so that uh, we'll start with Connor. Why don't you explain who you are real quick? Oh, my name is Connor Walsh. Uh, I did writing audio and some random miscellaneous things on the diving bell. Uh, cool. And then, uh, Zach, why don't you go ahead? Hi, my name is uh, Zach Viola. Sorry, I forgot to clarify. Um, but uh, I was the, uh, the artist on the diving bell. I did all the 2D and concept art for it. Okay, so it's, it's Viola, not Viola. Yeah. Uh, is that how it's... Correct. But well, is, what's the instrument pronounced like? Is it a viola or a viola? I believe the the instrument is a viola. 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 
So is it a ravioli or a raviola? <laughs> um, the ravioli, I believe, is a, is a small one, and then I think there is a raviola, which Correct. is a large one. Yes, <laughs> a man, a man of, of, of pure taste there. You can have a large size? Yes, yeah. It's that like sounds whole, great. Why is this not more popularized? Thing. I don't know. <laughs> It's like, it's like I, I discovered when I was, like, 20 that calzones exist. And I was like, why has this not been all of my baked pastries for all of time? Like, what <laughs> are you even doing here? Well, have you ever had a stromboli? No, it's a stromboli. Oh, Ted. Oh, Wait, Ted. Do they, not have, do they not have strombolis? I, don't, I haven't seen a stromboli down here except for Gumby's. Okay, t- take a pizza and turn it inside out. Ooh. I it is... It is obscene. It's like if you're ever in Jersey, I've got a I've got a spot, but like basically it's just like some thick dough filled with like cheese and meat and maybe some sauce. It's like a it's like a level up from a from a calzone. It is my favorite thing. The last I time I was in Jersey was for prom, and I'm not even joking. I had a long distance girlfriend, and I flew out to Jersey for prom. <laughs> so most That's of my right. Jersey memories are prom related. Yeah. So, but I imagine most of the time in Jersey, people aren't wearing tuxedos and fancy dresses and and having little. What is the thing that you put in the flower that you're supposed to put on your date? Like, like, like the a corsage. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm guessing it's not a corsage based economy generally. No, that's just. Well, uh, I, don't, I don't mean to interject, but we we still. Have- Two more, uh, two more people to, to introduce. Yeah, I know, I know. I just, I get distracted very easily. So why don't you go ahead, uh, <laughs> oh, Cody, and uh, introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah, um, my name is Cody Reader. Um, I'm. I did the assets for the diving bell. Uh, so there was a whole lot <laughs> to tackle there. Uh, but yeah, everything that you see in the diving bell was actually created from the ground up for that game. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty cool. For sure. <laughs> and then Aiden, why don't you go ahead? All right, hi, my name is Aiden Cushing, uh, also known as Rabbit Run Dev. Uh, I was the uh, general, like, high-concept person for the game. I, like, you know, did some directing here and there. Uh, I was also the uh, the gameplay designer and uh, programmer for the game. And the so. four of you actually got together originally to do, what was the name of the game again for the Haunted PS1 Jam? Uh, Vestigial. Has <laughs> all of you worked on that previously? Uh, I did not previously work on that. They brought me on for this game. Yeah, yeah, we um, Aiden, Aiden and I were both very impressed with the way Zach was working with us on a different game that Aiden had in mind uh, called Foss, and yeah, that Foss. was something. Of, yeah, um, so yeah, we were we were really impressed with the way that he was kind of kicking out the art really quickly, and it was letting me bounce my my assets off of that really really quick as well. So once once you contacted us, we figured that pipeline would be really good to carry on to the diving bell. So I feel like it worked out really well. Yeah. And so you all, did you all meet beforehand? Like, did you know each other? Did you meet through Haunted PS1? Like, how'd that all happen? It was all Haunted PS1. Um, I want to say that I met Aiden through bringing him on to work on the last game that I released. I think that happened before we started working on Vestigial. Um, yeah, that was that was like April. Yeah, that was a place forbidden, and I brought Aiden on to help out with some programming overhead that amassed prior to release. That's right, and, uh, place forbidden. Oh, and uh, Zach is a friend of mine from uh, from New Jersey who I met through uh, various means. But I was like, "Oh, you don't want to do games? I want to do games. Let's do games together, yeah, man!" Yeah, yeah. Um, so. I think I think we were part of like a, a same Facebook group, and we just found out that we were both from New Jersey, and then yeah, something like we that. Like, oh, we have similar interests. Yeah, something like that. 
I was trying to come up with like some kind of stereotypical New Jersey thing that like he would have said something in chat. You're like, oh, you're also from Jersey, and then like. <laughs> But like like I yeah. said, my only knowledge of New Jersey is prom slash corsage related. So yeah. my joke would have been like, "Hey, you, you want to dance to the slow songs together?" Like they just wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> got a, uh, we got in a fist fight over over uh, Metal Gear Solid Four in a uh, in a quick check somewhere, and we've been best friends ever since. <laughs> oh, good fight. What about Metal Gear Solid Four? Were you fighting about? I think it's good. I also think it's good. <laughs> oh, I love well, that game. What are we fighting about? We were trying to reenact the final scene. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) It's been too long. if you try to parcel them out piece by piece, you know, it's like, why is there a yeah. flying, wh- flying flame whale in this game? It's like, I don't know. Oh. Honestly, I kind, I kind of imagine that just kind of, you know, ruins the fun. <laughs> like, he probably he probably has everything laid out. Like, I assume everything that he puts in there has a purpose, and then anyone that's suggesting it would have, like, this is why I think it's relevant. And it probably just kind of ruins the fun. <laughs> See, I, I actually think exactly the opposite. I think he just throws symbolism there, in there and then just is like, yeah, I'll just deal with this in a later one. It's fine. This will mean something eventually. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think he's probably deranged just like all directors and probably keeps his people working with him in the dark. And so they're just uh, creating all kinds of bullshit, some of which won't even be in the game. And then, like, they have no concept. Like, yeah, we want you to make Volgan but he's covered with bullets. He's on fire. <laughs> I, I can imagine that, like, I, I want to do a sketch, right? That's like Hideo Kojima's absurdism consultant. Like, someone yeah. that works in the company that's just there to make things absurd. I will and I will happily help you write that. Oh, my God. All, all the whole teams are sitting in their cafeterias by table, and there's, like, you know, the combat designers, and they're like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, I'm making sure that if you shoot enough guys in the head... And the, the, the tragic memories of Snake's past will flicker before his eyes, therefore decreasing your accuracy by 10%. I, I had to get the waiver just right. And there's another guy. It's like, what is you're in charge of? He's like, oh, I'm in charge of animating the scene where the dude shits his pants for like 20 minutes. <laughs> 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 so was, all right, all right. We need the guy. We need the bad guy from the last one. But he's on fire. But he's on fire. What's your job for Hideo Kojima? I am in charge of finding the people shitting their pants sound effects. It's in <laughs> all of these games. Every single game has had someone with bowel problems. Isn't that how That's they introduced totally Otacon? Is that he, like, peed himself? Mm-hmm. They, he pees himself. Uh, Johnny shits himself. And then yeah. all of his family members shit himself in the subsequent yeah. games. Yeah. It's a, it's oh, a family yeah. lineage thing. <laughs> it's, uh, can't, be, uh, can't be Metal Gear without a dude just, like, pooping all over the place. It's just how it is. Yeah, I actually, I never played, I haven't played 5 yet. I've heard it's uh, good, but... Um, it's, it's not a Metal Gear game. It's it's a very, very good game. It's a fun game. It really doesn't feel like Metal Gear. Uh, yeah, I have to agree with that. I love the, the gameplay and everything, and the mechanics and everything. It just, the story just isn't as deep. It's weird. It's all weird. Mm-hmm. It's just not as deep. Um, there's not as much complexity to it. Because I played Ground Zeroes, 
and I, I, my, impression, my impression of Ground Zeroes was this is a very, very, very robust mechanical system that has a lot of cool stuff in it. And man, I can't wait to see how this works. And then like the game came out, and I just was like, oh, what, what, what year did it come out? Because I think I was actually getting sober around to them. 2015, 2016, I think. Because I was playing it in, in sophomore year of college, so it had to be like somewhere yeah. around that. Oh no, is it that old? Yeah. yeah we're old. Jesus. We, yeah, that, if it makes you feel better, we got Survive in the meantime. That doesn't make me feel better. Yeah. That makes me uh, feel the opposite of better. <laughs> yeah, I um, I, I I think I just I, I think I was probably drunk when I was playing it, and that's a very very hard game to play while drunk yeah. because that's a hard game to play when you're sober. Right. Well, it's like trying to remember where everything is in the map and stuff. But I do mm-hmm. I do distinctly remember tranquilizing a goat and watching it fly into the sky with a balloon, and I was like, all right, this game's okay. Dude, that's like thirty five percent of the game, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly, to this day, have no idea how I got through that whole game non lethal. I don't know how I did it. It's really hard. Had I been totally non lethal? Completely, all the way through the end of chapter two. There's, you know, that part where you you drive the jeep into that little like. Um, well, I guess you, you everybody does it differently. There's a there's a catacomb area where you go into a tunnel system, and you can you can op, you can drive a jeep in there if you want to. You know what I'm talking about? Vaguely. You, re- you rescue a guy. You have to carry him out on your back. Yes. Okay. So, never mind. I've lost my point. All good. This is what this cool. podcast is about: is random tangents. Fuck yes. yeah, so, random tangents. Um, but Connor, so before uh, a place forbidden, you actually you you actually do work for other studios, right? Yeah, I work full time in game dev. Um, I was gonna say, yeah, I figure I can be pretty open about it. I already am. Um, I'm over at Obsidian right now. Uh, I have been working professionally since I was 16. Um, although I mostly uh, worked summers way back when, because obviously I was still going to school. Um, I was in QA up until the end of last year. Uh, and then popped back at the start of this year to do some technical writing, some documentation type stuff at Obsidian. Uh, and then I, uh, there were some narrative openings. I took the test. They told me, "Wow, Connor, you really took some risks with this with this test, but they paid off." And I went, "What are you talking about?" Uh, and then they went, "You're hired." And I went, "Great." Uh, <laughs> so I've been working there since March of this year, but of course, time has no meaning, uh, and so it may as well have been since like a week ago. So is there, can you talk about what you're working on there, or is that all still hush-hush? I don't know. (laughs) I assume that the, like, what I'm working on has been announced, so I assume the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. However, Gamma, uh, I'm going to be a little extra safe, because this is a recording, and it can be used against me in a court of law. Fair enough. I I, I imagine it's probably uh, uh, Tyranny 2. Oh, boy. Are you? Did you specifically say that because you were trying to uh, speak my language, as they say? Tyranny. I, was I just like tyranny. <laughs> wow! Uh, if you look at one version of Planescape Halfscape, there is one tooltip written by me, uh, but only in one in one version. I wrote that. I was a a narrative intern on Tyranny when I was eighteen. Um, Such a fascinating game. Yes, I love Tyranny. Uh, it was. An, an interesting game to work on um, because of how complicated a lot of the functionality is. Um, there are more words in Tyranny by a considerable margin than there are in the Outer Worlds, um, and there is reactivity in that game that I cannot fathom. I'm amazed yeah. no one died as they were working on it. 
Oh yeah, tyranny. Yeah, tyranny is like crazy because it's actually it fulfills a lot of those open world RPG promises that so many games make that like very few follow through on. Mm. Where, like, you can actually like you can. There's so many different like even in the first zone, the differences in like paths that you can take are pretty stark. Yes. And yes. I like that. It's again, it's a game that's always going to have a special place in my heart. Not just because it's the first game that I've worked creatively on. I wrote a bunch of reputation change reasons as well. Um, but because it's just like it's different than the typical fantasy fair. Yeah. Well, and I, I do like the the depiction of the banality of evil in it too. It's not like the it's not like the tyrant is some dark overlord like wanting to harvest all of the the schmeckles from the good citizens of the shire. <laughs> it's like it's it's about it's just kind of about a conqueror conquering as conquerors do, and the good guys aren't necessarily good guys either. You know. Right. I really like that. I thought it was a I thought it was a very very unique game. I, I always turn my friends on to it. Um, and I will say that if you if you are one of those people that gets overwhelmed by open world RPGs like that, things like Pillars of Eternity or things like uh, oh god, uh, uh, Divinity, um, rich, the the new Divinity games, uh, Tyranny is great, um, and they're, it's not it's not as long as you think getting into it, but it is very robust. So, anyways, yeah. that's my pitch for Tyranny. <laughs> pitch tyranny, tyranny all day. I've still got a soft spot for it. Yeah, but you're actually our second Obsidian alumni, along with uh, Justin Renard, who's Secret Cow Level. He worked on Fallout New Vegas. Ah, uh, unfortunately, that was much before my time. Um, but yes, I believe that was brought to my attention. I should probably shoot him a message and see uh, what people he remembers that are still working there. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Ted, just real real quick, but very important question. Did you say Shekel or Schmeckel? Because those are, as a Jew, those are two very different things. <laughs> Oh, I don't remember what I said. What? What are? The, what's the difference? Okay, so a shekel, <laughs> a shekel is the is the base unit of money in Israel. Okay. A shmeckel is something that may not be appropriate to the podcast. Jesse, you're 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 usually the one to check me on this stuff. What is what is each? Uh, I don't actually know what a shmeckel is, but it sounds like. A blumpkin or something, if I had to guess. I just, I just sent okay. it to the text chat. Oh, I, uh, okay, got it, got it. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> the Jews in your audience will get a kick out of this. I'm, I'm also Jewish, Jewish, and I didn't know that. <laughs> I'm not a Frank's Anyway. Oh, buddy. Oh, you learn something new every day. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm not a practicing Jew either. I'm actually pagan, but, uh, you know, you grow up in a household with uh, people who speak Yiddish and, you know. <laughs> You pick up a couple things. Yeah, I was. I literally just thought you were saying that you like don't practice at it, which is why you don't know the words. <laughs> like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm real rusty. I gotta practice more. That's true. So you can work on. Yeah. Anyways, uh, let's. Pro- we should probably talk a little bit, at least, about the game that you guys all came together to make, right? Yeah. I, we keep, we yeah. keep making this yeah. not talking about the games. Um, you are at least somewhat on topic. Say it again. I think we were somewhat on topic. I mean, we're ta- at least we're talking about video games here, you know? Yeah. Like, as opposed to... Uh, Star, what do I usually talk about? Uh, you oh. falling off your bicycle, <laughs> contemplating life. Sometimes, I sometimes do talk about that. Yeah, that does sound like me. Yeah, so, and oh. then uh, from dusk till dawn and how hot that actress is. She's super, super pretty and very talented. <laughs> That's not what you said <laughs> before. She's a gorgeous woman. Uh, both Thelma <laughs> Hayek and the one from the TV show. Did you guys not listen to the last podcast where we talk about From Dust Till Dawn, the TV show? It's a great I, show. 
I actually listened to it. I, uh, I've been meaning to listen to the podcast. I, uh, I checked out the episode with the bicycle incident. Uh, I skipped forward 20 minutes. You were still talking about the bicycle. I and I was know! Like, <laughs> I was like, damn, I gotta listen to this later, I guess. I'm really interested. I'm curious. <laughs> I come up with an interesting bit for the beginning of every podcast for the good of our listeners. Fair for enough. example, today I was gonna bring up wiki editors and how they are psychopaths, yeah. tyrants. Yes, no one edits a wiki that has, like, a good balanced life. There's, like, it, it, you have to work for free, and it's a yeah. lot of work, so it's only people that, like, need to control the work. Anyways, I've oh, been doing hey. that. I, I'm submitting for a wiki so that our game can be on Twitch because you got to be on a certain wiki. And I got, a, I got a message from the moderator saying, please don't write in second person when I was doing the description of the game because I said, in this game, you do this. And he's like, don't use you. How am I supposed to describe the game? The player does, and it's I just it's, the game. It's, yeah, well, like you can't <laughs> also yeah. make a person. They would get double mad about that. Yeah. But like, that's the thing is that it, there's no actual problem with using you and I statements in reviews or in wiki moderation or some or not moderation, but in like wikis or whatever. The 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 point is is that in high school, a teacher told you to not use I or you statements and instead write in the third person. And some people then just go, well, my high school English teacher told me it, and I'm going to do that forever. And when someone doesn't do that, I'm going to call them out on it because this is my little fiefdom and I rule here. And I don't know. I, I find it very annoying. What I find more annoying is people that never learn the rules of language because you have to learn the rules in order to break them. And you have to be, be able to be clever about it, be able to defend yourself. But anyways. I, uh... I have an extension of this, uh, of this, uh, this like beginning anecdote. If you're curious, continue on. Uh, I can't get too much into it. Uh, it is, it's actually also Schmeckle relevant, uh, relevant <laughs> magically. Um, if any of y'all are very curious for a slightly long but just obscenely entertaining story, there is a uh, there was a, a controversy on the Silent Hill wiki. Uh, about uh, oh, let's God, say certain Freud, let's say certain Freudian concepts. Uh, <laughs> involving um uh like masculinity and uh, it eventually just uh, devolved into a uh, a rant uh, a long series of like ad hominem rants about um mutilation and it was yeah, just, this is not something you're pulling out of your ass either i actually know about this it was the the silent hill the some moderator on the silent hill wiki was going wild saying that the whole game was like a metaphor for circumcision it was fascinating. And they, like, took over the wiki, and, and so it became this whole thing within that sphere of the horror gaming community. It was it was wow. wild. That's nuts. You know, you know, like, Ted has had to deal with this crap for years, where, like, basically all people want to talk about was Resident Evil and Silent Hill, and so he had to cover that over and over and over again. Oh, jeez. He's like... Fucking indie games. <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's totally true. So basically, like, as, as Jesse can attest, you know, there's a lot of rumors and speculation on the internet about various different main AAA horror games. But basically, it's it's basically all all the chatter is about Resident Evil and Silent Hill, and then sometimes you'll have Dead Space chatter or something like that. Um, and, like, the amount of weird theories and conspiracy theories and stuff I've seen is is staggering and and there's something that happens when you get so into a fandom that it like it's kind of like when you like when you have to like invent a concept in order to like rationalize your own existence and so that's where like things like the silent hill like circumcision controversy comes from it's just someone who's like 
I gotta prove that my life has meaning. So here's my hottest take ever. On if, if anybody's if anybody's looking for like a really good like any of the listeners are looking for a really really good summary, I just sent it to the chat. It uh, Justin Wang uh, made a fantastic video on oh, the uh, on Oh, speaking of Justin Wang, he follows us and I gave the code what? to our game. Oh no way! I, yeah. I love that man. If he enjoys my game, I'm gonna freak out. Matt McMuscles sure. already followed me, and I are, I like crap my pants a little bit. Oh, I love Matt, that. Oh, Matt, man, I, Matt did not. Follow me. I was super sad. Matt, if you hear this, follow me for the love of God. <laughs> I also gave him a key too. <laughs> oh, I love Flophouse. I literally nice like guys. he's he's like one of the top five Patreons. I would love to support. It's like him, like Ragnaroks, uh, Justin Wagon, like like two other people, and I'm just like, oh, I, I wish I had the money for this. I want I want in. Yeah, I mean, I I think that um, I a lot of those like it's kind of. We just did the code distribution, Star mm-hmm. and I, meaning that Star did it, and I sent like seven codes to friends. But I get to take some credit for it, so uh, I will. Um, and and it's it's kind of cool seeing like all the people that are following us that are like bigger names, you know, that are like, oh, cool, this person's interested. But what I also love is like you know giving some love to like some real small streamer that's just like, oh my god, this is so cool, like. Because I, I know it's not going to give us any exposure, but like it's always nice. Because that's the thing, like we're doing this to promote indie, and it just feels like we might as well promote some indie creators too, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. that I've been doing that like literally for hours. Yeah, we appreciate <laughs> it. Funbase House Alpha, I think is her name, or Funbase Alpha on on Twitch or Twitch. Yeah, Twitch. Um, I gave them a code. They're really really small. Great guys. Yeah, I, I I think that the easiest way to get codes is to be friends with the people that make the game. <laughs> it's a pretty yeah. easy way to get free stuff. Networking. Yeah, I'm not gonna come hunting down for you. You gotta come find me, right? Yeah. yeah. Reach out to you. You gotta come to me. Like, <laughs> I don't have time. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Well, yeah. A bit of behind the scenes because this is actually pretty impressive. You know, with how quickly this all came together, is that. Um, you know, you guys, you guys were like a last minute addition to the team because originally the guy, uh, Zag, Jeff Keen goes by Zag online as a programmer for Unfortunate Spacemen. Uh, he was supposed to be part of the DreadX collection too, but with the launch of Unfortunate Spacemen, um, doing really, really well, which I'm super proud of and super happy that he's, he's doing well. Um, you know, he was like, Hey, do you mind? Is it going to like totally screw you guys over if I drop out? I was like, well, yes, but I'll figure it out. And, uh, you know, luckily I was doing an article on uh, Vestigial and I was like, what about these guys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew that jam was worth it. Fun well, fact, that game released on my birthday. Oh, well, I guess happy well, birthday then. Yeah, it was a good weekend. <laughs> How long ago was it? Uh, Vestigial came out April 11th of this year, because that's my birthday. Yeah, that's past, that's past happy birthday time. Vestigial came out this year? Yeah, yeah, it was like, that was like, like a few months ago. Two, three months ago, it's crazy, right? God, this year has been years. I thought it was last year. <laughs> that's just that's how much we've been working, man. This year is eternity. It's yeah, true. Exactly. It's a decade long. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, why don't what, real quick, you know, why don't you guys tell us where the idea for uh, uh, the the game came from? I got this. Um, so, uh, I uh, had already taken my sleeping meds the night Cody told me that we were we got into the collection, so I was like, and he was like, yeah, there's like two days till the meeting, and also we gotta like put, put a team together, and like, do you have any ideas for games? And I'm like, 
Yes. <laughs> so, um, I, uh, I had been sitting on the concept for the diving bell, uh, for a while. I, it was actually funny enough. It was actually originally when I conceived of it, it was supposed to be a VR game, uh, which is something I'd still love to do like someday. It's just, you know, like it, it's one of those, like, you know, when I have time, when I have a job, all that stuff. Uh, but the idea was, uh, it initially came out as, uh, the theme is Lovecraft, obviously. So my thought was, what is the one thing that's like consistent with every Lovecraft story outside of like mild racism? And it's like, uh, the, the idea of you're reading this note that somebody wrote, like, as they're about to die, like, Oh, they're, they're busting down my door right now. This, I saw this horrible, indescribable thing. Let me describe it. Um, so the initial idea was actually for you to be in a cabin in the woods uh, and you're writing up your last note, your like last will and testament, essentially on a typewriter while you're trying to like nail the window shut and make sure that nothing can get in. And, you know, you're going to like hallucinate all over the place while they try and convince you to come outside. So I was like, all right, let me take this typing mechanic and fuse it with this other idea, which would be like make a way more compelling setting. And just like, you know, the idea was that you were supposed to like sur survive a certain number of days while, you know just a monster initially like tried to convince you to come outside, uh, which eventually um, expanded to the uh, dead crew members of your ship who died a couple minutes before the game started. And that was another thing that was really cool about this development cycle was like the initial idea for the game and where it ended up are almost two completely different games. Um, so it was just, it was really cool watching the progress of, you know, us just being like, all right, this is either not working or it could be better this way. Oh, you know, here's how we can tie this story element in with this gameplay element, and, you know, this, that, and the other. And we were able to like kind of iterate through the process and make what I think is a, is a better game than it, it started out as. So I think it was a really, it was a really neat process, but yeah, basically me taking a shower and being like, think, 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 uh, was the, was the concept for this. And, uh, I think it came out pretty good. Well, I really like the um, the what you're talking about with the typing mechanic. I think it's pretty fun because it's like I was playing it and I got like hacker fingers, mm -hmm. you know, where you're like it's like typing up on the keyboard, but you're slamming random keys. Yeah. And I was like every time I did that, I was like, I'm in. Oh, hacker mashing yeah. is a lot of fun on a keyboard. Yeah. And that was <laughs> that, that you know yeah. Connor Connor did such a good job in terms of what he wrote with with uh, everything you read on the computer and the sound. Connor Connor, do you have anything to weigh in on that? Um. Uh, no, not at the well, moment. I, 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 it's a little, it's a little bit of a broad um, perspective to come from. I guess it changed over the course of us working on it, um, what I wanted to do and kind of what we wanted to do. I think that I mostly just wanted it um, to reflect the atmosphere going forward. Um, and so it's like the logs that you're writing are meant to be an extension of each day um, as the game slowly kind of devolves. I've always been under the impression that in a horror game, you know, everything you do um, serves the atmosphere, whether that's in terms of puzzles or narrative or anything else. Um, and so for the both the, the story and the audio elements, I tried to marry everything I could. Um, and so day one is fairly normal. There's not a whole lot of, like, there's, like, your, your standard spooky ambience for being at the bottom of the ocean, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then... I tried to set it up, and I guess I kind of had my uh, the the work that I did on a place forbidden kind of taught me about this. Um, in that you can have very subtle changes uh, that events larger changes over the course of the game, um, and in the the mood of what's going on. And so on day two, um, there are some new ambient audio tracks of like creaking and groaning and water dropping. I don't know that everyone will notice it, but ideally, as you play through, you will be begin to sense that things are starting to get uh, considerably worse. And I think that all of the mechanics together. Uh, work well to show that. 
And, uh, and that was actually, that actually brings up another interesting point is that uh, I, the, the typing mechanic actually, uh, shout out to, to the, the team from Rutgers, uh, actually came from a uh, shelved project that we were working on, which actually was a hacking simulator. Uh, but then I, I, I thought about it as I was working on it. I was like the one uniting factor for everybody's play experience that I had noticed while I was, while I was working on it was uh, that they got really engaged. Uh, with like you know the the frantic typing and all that, so I, I thought it would be a really cool way to get the player kind of more into the headspace of uh, the main character from our game. If you felt like you were like physically typing out the logs and like trying to survive, um, so I just thought it was a really nice way to like marry the two concepts together. Yeah, no, I, I think that it's 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 a pretty compelling mechanic because it gives you so often in games when you're reading a note, even if the note is like pivotal or it's it feels like a chore. You know, um, by having the, the, the clickety clack of the keyboard, I was like reading along with it and I, I felt more like viscerally engaged with text. I'm actually surprised to hear that. I would have expected that all the typing would make it more difficult to follow what was happening, like in the note or in the, the log. Well, I'm, I'm dumb. So like I don't like, I don't like to read. Said it then. Yeah, I don't like to read unless there's like other stuff happening. Mm. So it's like you know with when the when there's a note, there better be good voiceover or something. Like I don't like to just like read the text on the screen. So like the fact that I could like like had something to do with my hands, I was like, this is nice. Yeah, and it's it's funny you mentioned that actually because that was uh, where one of the central mechanics came from was uh, that involvement felt a little too straightforward. So what we did was, as of uh, starting on day two, you actually have to like combine that frantic typing with hiding behind the computer from like behind the computer from the monsters that are outside the ship. Yeah. Uh, and I just thought it was uh, I thought it was like a really kind of nice way to like even you know further that engagement was to try and uh, work the fear elements into it. So you had to like physically like you know feel your way out in real space as well as typing. So yeah. So what what is so the the game itself is you know much. I would say it's um, like there's a lot of room. Like the the the, the product that we, we wound up with was like you know there's so much room for other stuff to be put into this world. If you had like infinity time, what would you like to see? Like what 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 were some things you would like to have included that you couldn't? Oh man, I've got one. Do you guys have anything? So much. Yeah. Aiden, why don't why don't you go ahead and start, Aiden? Uh, oh. Okay. Then Connor, you go next. So uh, I, I was actually going to work the original, like, you know, five-minute short, like, you know, game jam game concept into the ending. Uh, the idea was initially that you were, um, this was supposed to be like a five-minute, like, game jam project where you uh, were in a diving bell uh, in VR and you climbed down the chain because your, uh, your bell got stuck on the ocean, on the bottom of the ocean as you were trying to come up. And uh, you would have to, like, lo physically lower yourself down the chain uh, and unhook yourself from the bottom while monsters swam around you. Uh, kind of like a, a really uh, micro-indie game called Euclidean, if any of you have ever played it. It's really cool. Uh, I totally recommend it. Um, but uh, what we were initially going to do is uh, when you, like, right after you get scared by the, uh, you know, by the monster, you were supposed to wake up inside the diving bell, uh, and then it was supposed to go, like, you know, it was going to stop, and you were going to have to, like, lower yourself down while, an while another monologue played. Uh, but we ended up having to cut it for time, tragically. Right. 
but that and uh, we initially had a little bit of combat stuff planned. Uh, I know Cody really wanted to put in uh, a couple of things that I'm actually going to let him talk about. But um, there were supposed to be some more interactive elements, but uh, we kind of had to boil it down a lot to uh, some some very basic uh, gameplay loops and things like that. But w- given enough time, I would love to integrate, uh, especially that ending and uh, combat end of VR uh, overhaul. All right, is that me now? <laughs> yeah, 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 go for it, Don. Um, on a similar note to Aiden's, uh, when things got down to the wire and uh, it became polish time, uh, certain things need to get cut. That's part of game development. Things will always need to be cut unless you want a 300 million year dev cycle. Um, <clears> if <throat> I were to go back, I would retool the beginning and the ending, the very beginning and the very end. Um, we had different ideas for how to convey certain narrative elements. Um, the intro that we have, I believe, is decently effective, but um, making we, we initially had an idea for a playable tutorial effectively that not only introduces you to the mechanics in game, but also introduces you to the the situation that you're dealing with. Because as the game starts right now, and I hope this isn't too much of a spoiler, um, you're kind of in the aftermath, whereas how we initially wanted to do it is um, show the player causing the incident that they're all freaked out about over the course of the game. Because that would make the, the narrative all the more effective, because if you're in a situation where, you could be, where you're supposed to be doing something, find that you can't, puts you in the shoes of the character a little more, makes the events feel a little more realistic, and the character feel a little less like, a, like their issue is their issue, not mine. Because um, that's an issue in narratives. Uh, the ending itself also, again, we, we found a happy medium. Um, we had initially intended to use some, I want to call them FMVs. Yeah. Uh, okay, yes. Um, that, again, served to bring the player a little closer to what eventually happens. Um, and serves to kind of complicate the narrative a little more. Because it feels a little cut and dry. Maybe not that cut and dry at the ends right now. Um, again, I think we managed to scrounge something together that works. Um, I just, it just would have been nice to have been able to implement what we wanted to in the first place. Yeah, FMVs were a big part of the original idea in terms of, of how that was supposed to be perceived. And that's something that I think a lot of us were sad about in terms of having to cut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we all have a soft spot for, for FMVs. Yeah. It's a classic. Um, Zach, Zach, did you did you not have anything you wanted to that you personally? I was going to let you go first since since you and I worked so closely together. I was going to let you <laughs> yeah. go first. And then... Yeah, I mean Zach, Zach and I we, we we were bouncing off each other left and right. Like I think the partnership there was fantastic. Um, for for me personally, what I would change down the line, I would want the ability to pick up things. Um, I have this habit. Like it was funny the other day. I I, I sat down and I I picked up a game and started playing. And the very first thing I did uh, was Portal. Uh, I picked up the radio, and I threw the radio against the wall. Uh, and my wife turned to me, and she was like, yep, there you go. And, uh, and it, was just, it was just her moment of acknowledging the fact that I have, like, an unhealthy obsession with picking things up in games and throwing things. <laughs> so, like, that, that's a huge thing for me in games is that I always want to pick stuff up and, and throw things. Um, so that would be a mechanic I would add. Um, another one that I had was I wanted the ability to use the axe that we had in the game, but not necessarily an attack or defensive mechanism, but rather the ability to smash certain things. So I had made crates and uh, fish tanks, and then, of course, there's, like, layers of glass all along the facility. 
So I wanted to have a couple of insta-death sequences uh, to where if you had been that that fool that would take an axe and hit the, the port window, you would basically just immediately fill the whole area with water and kill yourself. Uh, so, you know, little, little jokes like that, uh, insta-death things. I had a, an insta-death idea of you being able to try and open it and the door, and it would give you a prompt and say, hey, uh, you can't go out without your air suit. And then if you were that fool and try and do it again, it would malfunction, slam the door shut, and then the other one would open, and you would then instantly die from the water again. Um, so I, I think that was a couple of random, just off the top of my head, ideas that I personally would have added in a longer addition. We did get the soap in, though. The soap got in. Oh, yeah, of course, we had to. <laughs> I actually I can't find your guys because you, you guys um, we all took turns hiding the soap. I think I don't know if Zach had the chance to jump in on that because oh, I didn't. UE four issues, um, but but yeah, we we basically hid the soap in different areas. Um, I won't say where mine is, but I have no idea where you guys hid yours. First person to find all three soaps, I'll send you a free code of the game. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to. What? <laughs> they will have had to have bought in the game to get the code. <laughs> or, or, oh, uh, I'll, buy you, I'll, I'll buy you a second one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, this, it's interesting listening to you guys talk about um, what you guys wish you would have added. Oh, I'm sorry, Zach, did you have a chance to say what you wanted to keep adding? Uh, yeah, I would have I would have probably added um, probably some more clutter around the area. Uh, Cody and I were... were like you said, we were bouncing yeah. stuff off each other so much, uh, especially when creating the environment that we were in. Um, mm. and that was a huge part of uh, my work here on the uh, the diving bell was creating that interior and making something that is kind of submarine-ish and also research-based-ish. Um, so I would have I would have liked to to work a bit more on like mundane props. Uh, he mentioned crates that would have been a lot of fun to work on. Um, just just stuff around the area to make it look more, I guess, chaotic and lived in. Mm-hmm. Zach, is there a place we can see your concept art? Um, in terms of the the diving bell particular, or just art in general? Well, I mean, I I think it would be cool to see like the idealized state of the sub somewhere. Oh, um, I have not posted any of it yet oh, okay. because I wanted to get the okay, the go ahead before doing so, just. Uh, as a formality when working freelance for so long. So yeah, post whatever, I don't care. Yeah, man. I'm glad. I'm glad I mean, now that the game's coming out on Friday, I don't care. Like, you can post your comment. <laughs> oh, really, cool. really quick, I want to actually say this. Zach, I don't know if I ever had the chance to tell you this, but we did cut a feature from the game. Uh, Aiden just reminded me. I don't know yeah. if intentionally. There you go. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I was out about this. <laughs> this is one of my favorite ideas for the game that we had in terms of how the menu works. Because um, Aiden, Aiden had blew my mind with vestigial. When you end vestigial, it sends you to his Discord. And that was something that was really shocking to me. I thought that was really cool. And he had carried a different idea into the diving bell where you go into the menu and it says personnel. When you open up personnel, it, it takes us over to uh, our individual Twitter accounts. Now, there is another section in there that, would, for the longest time, it was filled with question marks. And we had this whole plan to have a concept art section in the menu that you'd be able to go through and flip through all of Zach's art. And I had gathered all of the art. It was like, a, like uh, what was it, 87 files or something like that i think yeah. uh, that's a lot of stuff <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh and i wanted to fill it in and we just 
uh, we scraped the bottom of the barrel for time. And yeah, I was yeah. really bummed. Oh, yeah. that was it was one of my favorite things. Yeah, it was cool because it was gonna like show up because the, the menu actually works in real space. Like you, you are physically clicking things on a three D monitor. Um, so what we were gonna do is we were gonna have a picture frame that popped up and like you know behind the computer and in front of the window and it was gonna show off all the art. So eh, maybe we'll patch it. Awesome. Yeah, maybe we'll try. Okay, this might sound like a dumb question, but are are undersea bases real? Like, are there yes. in the real world? Yeah, no, like that, that, I don't feel like that's a dumb question, but yeah, there there's undersea. Um, yeah. They're definitely not like the extent of what we made, but there are like sub subaquatic research facilities. Because mm. like I remember, I, I watched Underwater recently, which is fucking great. Everyone should watch Underwater. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been on my list. Uh, and I was like, or like The Abyss. Yeah. Oh, man. The Abyss was a big inspiration for while we were working. Aiden kept bringing that one up. I, I as soon as we came up with the concept, I immediately posted a picture of, of Underwater. Yeah. Uh, I kept calling it underneath for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I've always been like, how do they get the concept for an undersea base? Like, what it would look like? Because Zach was like, I wish I had more clutter and stuff. But I was thinking about like astronauts, and if you look at a a space station, it's like incredibly clutter free because mm-hmm. they can't have any clutter because it just like stays there forever because there's like nowhere for it to go. So they have to be very tidy. Exactly. I can tell you exactly what I looked at. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I looked at submarines, a lot of submarines, because submarines have, like, really cramped hallways, and that makes a really claustrophobic experience, especially with all the pipes and, and, uh, and you know, like, valves and stuff like that. Um, I looked at, <clears throat> I looked at uh, subaquatic research facilities, uh, and also, uh, if you've ever been to Disney, Epcot, they used to have uh, 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 the Living Seas before they fucking ruined it with Finding Nemo, and it had this awesome, like... <laughs> Fact. 1970s like sci-fi retro futuristic sea base and i was like i need some of that <laughs> <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking about do yeah. you i do yeah my mom it was like was nuts about it back in the day because i've been to disneyland probably like a dozen times sadly i don't know why i can't imagine working on a submarine because like, no. we're stuck stuck in such a small area mm-hmm. with probably like a lot of uno we'll say that again so probably a lot of games of Uno. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like it's not very like a submarine's big, but it's it's like it's not thirty people living in the same tin can big. You know, it's like it's very. I can imagine it would be very very like you get you if if you have a fight with someone, you better be able to have like good conflict resolution skills because you're stuck <laughs> in a very close proximity with them. For yeah, like you, you're gonna like my next major game, Ted. What is it? It's it's uh, going to be completely based off of the temple by H.P. Lovecraft, which takes place in a submarine that's malfunctioned. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like. Yeah. Well, I, I just I I I've, I've, I think about like things realistically because like every time we see a submarine, it's like in a movie, and we only have to like spend an hour with these characters or whatever while they're underwater. But imagine if you had to do that like every day mm. for like months. Oh, yeah. it'd be rough. It's funny that you bring that up. That was actually a huge inspiration for like this, like for for like high concept stuff for the story as it was. Is it's like I'm intensely afraid of the ocean, like very very scared. Like like I can I can like maybe put my feet in the water, but outside of that, no, done. Um, but like extending from that, the idea of being stuck in a space with someone who hates you is kind of one of the overarching like 
like motifs of the game if that if, if that oh, makes sense like, can you imagine like breaking up with your boyfriend on a submarine and you're both on the same submarine oof. that would be so passive aggressive for like six months they say yeah. don't date your coworkers. that goes double for submarines yeah that would be, you said like being trapped with something that hates you and that's what i thought of would be yeah like, steve is such a dick yeah but in, instead of a uh, instead of a disgruntled ex-girlfriend it's a several kilometer long monster and uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly you were also dating uh, the amorous submarine <laughs> <laughs> yeah i um I, I, I was, when I was in college, I did a study abroad class at um, a, a university that I didn't like very much. Uh, and I studied pirates, like not, not like internet pirates, like Yarg high sea pirates. Ah, fellow piratologist. Yeah. And one of the, I, I learned a few fun things that most people have misconceptions about. And this is sailors in general are like this. First off, pirates didn't drink because it's very hard to pilot a ship when you're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> drink when they're on shore, but all sailors do that. That's like a very common thing. But like, you're not supposed to drink when you're at sea because, like, you know, doing ship stuff is very difficult. So difficult they had to like force people to do it very frequently, press ganging and stuff. But uh, um, they also ate everything. Like, sailors are obsessed with food because pirates, old school pirates, never knew when they would get their next meal. And um, this is this is a fun story because a lot of our early journals, early ecological journals come from pirates that would visit these islands that were uninhabited. And the reason they were going is because like there was no English, there was no English sailors there to shoot them. And they'd be like, Oh, we found this new species of bird. It was green and has this plumage and it tasted like this. And like every, all the pirate journals are like, we found this new creature, like these new turtles we'd never seen before. And they were delicious. (laughs) It's like, it's like half ecological journal, half culinary guide. It's wonderful. I found a bird today. I ate its liver with some <laughs> When we think pirates, we think like Yarg, high seas raiders. We don't think about like dudes like going to random islands and being like, yeah, this one had a weird goat and I ate it. And then they write about it. And then people in England buy it. And they're like, fascinating. <laughs> Especially about drinking. I mean, pirate ships have like cannons. And if you're drunk, and you need gunpowder to run cannons and fire, and those two should not mix unless you are directly using them to mix them. So, I get it. Oh my god, alcohol cannon. The clues were all there. There's the the song, What Would We Do With a Drunken Sailor? You know, what would we do with a drunken sailor? It wasn't wasn't like, promote him, because that dude's awesome. It was like, shave his back (laughs) with a rusty razor. It's punishment. You're not supposed to be drunk. (laughs) You're trying to tell us the entire time. (laughs) <laughs> the clues were here the whole time. He'll find the truth. 14th um, century pirates, the original AA. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. No, uh, but they also wrote like extensive contracts. Like mm-hmm. um, pirates had very, very, like they, they actually kept rigorous books um, because they shared, tr- they shared treasure um, equally amongst the whole crew. Um, like pirate captains were voted in and they only got, like three shares, like three, like three times, they only got like three times more than the, any other crew member, which is not how the Royal Navy worked. (laughs) So that that was one of the appeals of, of being uh, a pirate, I guess. Although most people didn't choose to be pirates. They just like, uh, they're, they're captain because back then captaincy wasn't a meritocracy. It was like a a nobility position. You just got appointed it. And and then the nobility would get syphilis like all the time because (laughs) 
thing that the nobility did back then. So your captain would be like, we're going to Guam and we're going to go through Alaska. And they're like, what are you talking about? That's not even a, we haven't even discovered that country yet. What are you even saying? And, uh, <laughs> and so then they would rebel because they're like, I don't want to die. And then all of a sudden you're a pirate. And I guess you just got to live life. If you ever wonder how Virginia got so rich, it's because they didn't ask a lot of questions about where you got your gold when you wanted to retire. Ugh. Virginia was a notorious haven for ex-pirates that you could basically buy a sum of land and they wouldn't ask any questions and then you could just change your name and then live there. Being of Cuban descent, uh, my favorite pirate is a is a notorious Cuban pirate named Diabolito or Little Devil. And he was notorious for uh, raiding other pirates in his waters. And he would basically sail around a perimeter and just mess stuff up. <laughs> I'm like, that's pretty sick. I respect that. <laughs> that's pretty sick. My, my favorite pirate is William Dampier. Uh, he's, you can look him up. He's a very, very interesting fellow. He circumnavigated the globe almost three times. And this is before that was easy to do. This is like, you know, the 1500s, 1600s. And... Um, was it on purpose or was he just like lost? No, so he's he's one of those <laughs> one of those guys where his captain got syphilis and uh, um, or I don't know if his captain actually got syphilis, but the, the records are like you know it's it's very old and, and stuff um, and they kept good records, but you know you're never sure what's true or not. But and I, I also just can't remember if it was syphilis or something else. But basically he he was he 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 was part of a mutiny, had to become a pirate, and his 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 tactic was to go to South America. And along the western edge of South America, which back then was a Spanish, all Spanish. Spain Spain owned everything. But the way that, like, outposts worked back then, you know, little towns, is that you'd have a town, you have a garrison, but the garrison of guards was, like, ten guys. You know, like, they didn't have to, like, have, like, a hundred dudes to hold a town back then. It was just, like, ten dudes. So this pirate ship would come into town, and the, the town would maybe have one cannon as a coastal defense. And, and then the pirate ship would come in and, like, raid the town, take all the gold, and, and so he just kept sacking these Spanish ports all the way up the west coast of uh, South America. But what he did was that he took excellent, he, he kept an excellent record of where these places were. Because at the time, England, England and, and Spain were at war all the time back then, you know, just back and forth. Um, and so he, he took records of exactly where all these settlements were. And when he got back to England, they're like, you're a pirate, you're going to hang. He's like, or... I got all these nifty maps of where all the South America of all the Spanish colonies are in South America. Can I be f- like have my freedom? And they were like, absolutely. That sounds like an excellent deal. So he and his whole crew got to go free. They actually he actually became a privateer, which is an official pirate under the crown, and uh, they all made bank. And I was like, that dude's that dude's a baller. That's like old school baller. Like yeah. that that's super baller status. The true definition of old money. I mean, it's so cool because it's just like, that's a very creative thinking is like, instead of just being focused on the treasure, um, which I'm sure the treasure was nice. I mean, this is like Spanish gold back then. And, um, but make a map because maps were super valuable back then in the time before uh, GPS and Skype and stuff. <laughs> just Skype. Uh, anyway, thank you for sitting here for Ted's piracy lessons. I uh... Absolutely. <laughs> Stars yeah, yeah. like, God damn it, Ted. Uh, you know what? I'm a bit before <laughs> but, that, but they haven't so yeah. i was gonna say I'm, a, I'm actually a medieval reenactor so like this this kind of stuff is like i can listen to this for hours <laughs> well i think history is interesting and it's fun and it, it, it informs our our knowledge of the world so yeah, absolutely yeah yeah but uh yeah something about pirate uh, i would that would be pirate horror game sounds fun 
Yeah. yeah what, what was that one game? Um, it was all like, it was. It looked like an old Mac game. Um, Return you use a pocket watch, you know, it's an Indian game. Return of Oprah Den by... Yeah, Lisa. yeah. Oh, man, great game. Did any of yeah. you try that? Like, did any of you play it? Yeah, um, I know Lucas Pope personally, and what? so I, I've talked to him about, like, he used to work at Naughty Dog, and then he spent 10 years working at the, the Bargain Ben games. <laughs> and then he's just like, I just want to make a game. And so he made Papers, Please. That did well. Chucklefish helped publish that. And then he's like, screw publishers. I just want to make a game of myself. He also lives in Japan and is married and has kids. And um, he's in his 40s now. And he's like, yeah, I'm now going to make Over Den. That's awesome. he did. I have my, I have a notebook full of full of different things that lead to different people in that. <laughs> he yeah yeah I I uh, I I didn't grill him, but I ha- you know have asked him questions because he's so unique. Like the way he does game. Oh, he also won the Game of the Year award at IGF. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's an incredible game designer. I have a lot of respect for him. Yeah, Oberdin and Papers, Please are, like, both absolutely fascinating to me as just, like, pieces of art as much as they are games, you know? Yeah, I'm, like, so happy that, like, people actually recognize that, too. It's, like, oh, yeah. like atypical stuff like that where it's, like, it's designed, like, kind of out of left field. Where it's, like, you know, Oberdin with, like, the whole, you know, perspective mechanics and, and Papers, Please with just kind of doing something new and different with, like, resource management I just think is, like, really, really cool. I really like kind of like atypical mechanics and things like that. Well, yeah. And also it's not like, okay. So I was going to ask you guys this, but uh, I'll give my take that I feel like people don't care as much about mechanics and story. What they care about is themes. And Mm -hmm. so I think the theme of papers, please was really interesting to people because it's a way of showing kind of a, you know, Eastern European lifestyle without actually showing the life, you know, at a very like, a uh, slice of life kind of view into that. Yeah. So I was going to ask you guys, uh, what do you think people's first impressions are going to be? Um, and like, because you can't, you can't watch people at home play your game, uh, you know, by themselves, but obviously we're about to release the game. It's going to be played on Twitch. So when you you're watching Twitch or YouTube, what do you hope their first impressions are going to be? Um, I, I- I was going to say this, uh, this actually might be a Connor question. Uh, if he's, if he's like on this plane Uh-oh. of existence, um, <laughs> well, from, at least from a thematic uh, perspective, but, um, in terms of, I, I think, I think that our, our, the horror that we're presenting is, is somewhat atypical. It's, it's the horror is definitely atypical. If you want my perspective from what I've seen of a place forbidden, there is going to be niche success. I'd be very surprised if there were none. Um, there are going to be a decent number of people who like the game, and there are going to be more people who like it than I expect. Um, I was on the, the the first haunted PS1 demo disc, um, and so I have a little bit of a background in seeing, I guess, mass appeal of these sorts of things and people responding to games. And what I saw time and time again is, especially with the, uh, the demo disc, a person would love my game and hate my friend Bryce's. Um, and then the immediate next streamer I saw would hate my game and love Bryce's. Um, and there'd be some variation of that with every single person I saw at Infinitum. Um, at the end of the day, the diving bell isn't super flashy. Um, it's not very fast-paced, and the mechanics are somewhat subdued. It's not a shooter. Um, there are a lot of narrative elements to it. That said, and uh, to, to clarify, um, that's going to alienate some people. That's just how it works. Um 
on the other hand, people who are willing to sit down and pay attention, people who are more – and again, uh, sorry, I, I need to cut myself off a little bit and say that um, I tend to to look at a situation as re- re- realistically as I can from my perspective. But I don't think about things like Ted saying, oh, uh, I the, the typing mechanic helps me be more engrossed in the narrative as opposed to less because I didn't realize that. And people are going to like that more than I realized, and thus they're going to like the game overall more than I realized. Uh, I think the people who are open to appreciating the atmosphere will like the atmosphere. Um, I think the story and the writing will land with people who are with the right people, I guess. Um, and it won't with the wrong people, and that's okay. Yeah, for those who are looking for it. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're, if you're looking for, like, a kind of uh, spooky jump scare game, I don't think that this is the game for you, but if you're looking for something that's a little, it sits a little bit more as a concept piece rather than something big and flashy. I think that, yeah, I think, I think that's a really good way to explain that. Yeah. Yeah, we're not, yeah. We're not trying to punch you in the face. We're just trying to get under your skin a little. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's quintessentially Lovecraftian because it's not about, you know, what jumps out at you. It's, it's all about what is creepily lingering behind you. Well, what do you think yeah. uh, that's going to stay with them? Hmm. That's that's an interesting question. Um, I, I'm really hoping the kind of uh, sense of, of dread that we, uh, no pun intended, that we were able to uh, cultivate through the story. I think that um, I really hope that, you know, kind of the, the way the mechanics coalesced into bringing the player in as much as possible and putting them in the shoes of uh, Gregory will um, hopefully resonate with some people and, and that in combination with the uh, social kind of isolation elements and the, the idea of guilt and um, the, the idea of guilt and, and the, and um, I'm, I'm at a loss for it. Like, yeah. That, that almost Kafka esque, like just hopelessness and, and self doubt and blame, I think will hopefully resonate with people like uh, um, fun fact. Vestigial was actually, uh, a reinterpretation after I read uh, The Metamorphosis and, uh, by extension, Junji Ito's Slug Girl, uh, and the ways, uh, not so much yeah. the story itself, but the way it made me feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is very much an interpretation of Lovecraft, my experience with Lovecraft in the same kind of vein as a, uh, as a member of the queer community and the way that, um, you know, the, his concept of outsiderism is, you know, outdated by any standard, but, uh, you know, as somebody who has kind of been an outsider for, you know, uh, certain things about my life and certain things that I've experienced and, you know, the way that I interact with people, uh, I think that that is something that is quintessentially Lovecraftian is the idea of feeling lost in a universe that's too big for you, uh, but is simultaneously incredibly claustrophobic. Uh, there's... You wanted to... oh. Sorry, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that... Um... I'm not sure how well it landed. There was a thematic idea behind what's going on with the game. Again, may have gotten lost in the shuffle, and especially because of the the switch up with the intro and the exit. Um, and I hope I you're not supposed to talk about your writing uh, as a writer because if people can't observe it on their own, um, it means you did a bad job. That said, uh, I'm curious as to whether the kind of element of the play, the guilt that the player is supposed to feel is largely um, I mean, it's obviously going to be manufactured, right? It's a video game. Um, but the fact that it's manufactured is part of the narrative. Um, and it was meant to feed into what the other crew members want from you um, and what the beastie hanging out outside wants from you. 
Um, I think that hopefully, and again, may have gotten lost in the shuffle, but hopefully the people looking uh, will pick up on that and that might stick with them, that there's something a little, little greater going on behind the scenes than may be initially apparent. Um, okay, so yeah, a lot of the questions I usually ask you guys already answered, uh, uh -oh. like your, your process and what you're thinking about and your influences. So you guys already covered that. Um, so let's say you had a time machine and you went back in time two months <laughs> ago when we started this. What would you do differently uh, about the process to make oh it easier? My God. Um, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I, I would probably yell at myself. Uh, and make it, make it very clear to myself about direction with, uh, with pipeline. So, you know, one of the things that I think we definitely could have done better is just had a clear, uh, like a very clear communication on what exactly was set in stone and what, what needed to be achieved before other things. So like, obviously my idea of, of, you know, being able to take the, the axe and hit glass, like that's totally not relevant to, you know, whether or not you can get from point A to point B. So we should have, you know, had that ex exact focus on what mechanics were key to that earlier on. So this way we would have had more time to deal with the other things later. Uh, instead, it became more of a, a scramble towards the end to kind of repair things. And for what it's worth, I think it came together super well. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, I think I think we would have tightened that up a little bit. I, uh, I I can personally really attest to that. This has been my first uh, experience with leadership in a in a game development setting. I've I've been a so I've been a solo developer for you know like three ish years now. I've been you know working on my own for the most part outside of commission work. Uh, so. I did not realize my tendency to stop talking when I get anxious, and I was very anxious at most of this. Um, so I, if I could go back, uh, I think that I would just try and talk myself out of uh, feeling guilty when I feel like my, when I felt like my work wasn't stacking up and, you know, say, reach out and say, Hey, um, you know, I, I, even if it's, you know, just to like kind of keep everybody in the loop, here's what I'm thinking, you know, uh, and also tell myself to scope down. I have a horrible uh, tendency to over-design and uh, feature create myself. So that's any game dev, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, all, we all do that to ourselves. Let's be real here. But that's uh, a real art here of uh, simplicity of game development, of kind of like working very generally and then getting specific. Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't know how like people like Torpal Duke does it. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Oh my God, I, yeah. I got a lot of respect for Torval. Yeah. yeah. Excited to hang out with him when this is all over. I think uh, so for jealous. my part, um, in answer to your original question, is uh, I'm somewhat experienced with uh, game dev leadership at this point, I guess. Um, I was in charge of A Place Forbidden, um, and I've been in charge of a couple other projects. Uh, but when I started on The Diving Bell, I went, all right, hands off. Uh, I'm just going to do writing and audio. Um, and well, that's something I, you know, that was what I did for basically the first 20 days of the project. Um, and while I'm not saying necessarily that, oh yes, I, you know, everything would have been perfect if I'd, if I'd been, if I'd been there, if I'd been a little more active, that said, uh, I am a little more, I, again, don't think it's wrong to say that I have a little more experience with this sort of thing. And so yeah. maybe day 10, I could have been like, you know, playing the project and seeing the pace that we were going at and potentially either been a little bit more vocal about, I think we should do this, I think we should do this, let's get this done, and so on and so forth, rather than just kind of taking a back seat and letting the tide take us where it would. I think that's really interesting because uh, it kind of shows that there's obvious advantage if you have more people that can split up the responsibilities, 
there's uh, I guess you're mentioning kind of like a disadvantage too. So um, yeah, because well, it's every- hard to communicate. You can't read each other's minds. Right. Every team has a different workflow. Yeah. Um, and though we worked together on Vestigial, uh, that's the difference between a two-day versus a much longer project, um, or much more involved, I should say. Uh, and though working on a game jam, uh, you know, your energy is high or you, you force your energy to be high. It's harder to maintain the momentum over a different period of time uh, or if there's polishing involved or what have you. Um, and so that kind of thing, again, because uh, A Place Forbidden's dev cycle was 11 goddamn months, uh, that's something I'm very, very used to. Um, and so, again, I might have been able to offer a little bit more in the way of advice or, you know, directions we could take or even just like checking in. Uh, and again, I don't want to be like, oh, I, I should have done it. And I'm not saying this to slight Aiden or uh, Cody whatsoever. Uh, this is just something that I've kind of observed about myself. Yeah. And it's, it's, I, this whole thing's been a huge learning experience for me in particular. I, I don't want to speak for my, my coworkers, but. Well, that's good. Cause I think that um, ultimately, like, I, I think it's important for the Dread X collection to be a place for people to experiment. And sometimes experiments are rockier than other experiments. I mean, I always tell people when they, when they first join on, it's like, you know, do what you want, have, have fun with it. Like do whatever, like, you know, and, and sometimes you realize that you overscoped. But what, I, what I've realized that's kind of interesting is that you, you'd think that, um, so you guys are a four person team versus someone like uh, David Chemansky who does it, you know, all by himself. And you'd think that like the four person team would have, you know, a significantly easier time. What I found is that you just, you have four different people's worth of ideas that you want to expand on. And the game mm-hmm. tends to grow because of that. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, David was like, I'm going to make a game where I shoot squirrels. Here's my three squirrels, my one gun. And then there's uh, other stuff that happens in the game, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's pretty basic because it's, you know, he doesn't have the input of seven of, of sorry, four different people saying like, Oh, we should do this. We should do this. We should do this. Um, and I find that it's, it's difficult to try to include everyone's good ideas because Usually people have good ideas. That's what takes so long is you want to implement everyone's good ideas, you know? Well, it's not just... We, uh, Sorry. No, actually, um, we actually did a really good job, I think, at containing that part because when we first started the project, I had assigned very specifically Aiden and Connor to handle the story and the mechanics. And then Zach and I were to handle basically anything visual. Uh, and then later on, we had we had brought blood in for some of the animation sequences. Um, but I think, I think that part was pretty well controlled, um, like, you know, not over scoping too much. Um, I don't know, Connor, how do you feel about that particular bit? Uh, you, I, I hate to do this, Cody, but you keep giving me very general questions. Can you please rephrase? <laughs> how does that make you feel? I, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I could say, I, I can respond to Ted's initial question a little better in that, um, if you are a solo dev and you're used to being a solo dev, you've got a very clear idea of what you can do, how fast you can do it, and so on and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. Instead, what we what a team has to deal with is uh, a mind sectioned into four different pieces that can't communicate with each other unless they choose to. Um, and, you know, we don't know what's going on in somebody else's life. We don't know what works with some people and what doesn't. Uh, all we know is we need to get this... Ooh. Uh-oh. Uh, we lost Aiden. Oh, no. We'll come back. Okay. Uh, I was going to say that um, we just know our own skill sets and what we can each do. And we all have different expectations, and we all have different ideas of what's going on. Um, And that's why you start to run into more issues with a team uh, 
especially if they haven't worked before extensively as we technically haven't. Again, we had vestigial, but that's just a different different oh, vibe than what we yeah, had actually, to do with this. Actually, I, I, I don't know if I've, if I've said this. I, I have to thank you guys. This was actually my first outing at, uh, in game dev uh, ever. Really? Um, yeah, game dev, game dev, uh, and especially concept art, has always been something I've, I've wanted to do since the beginning of my career. I know I knew I wanted to get into this field somehow. Uh, so I, I have to thank you guys for uh, for I guess kind of open, opening that door. Yeah, um, no, it was great to have you aboard. Yeah, uh, and, and yeah, for any, anybody listening, Zach VR like hands down the concept art he was putting out was fantastic again i wanted to have an entire menu dedicated to being able to show off zach's art um he was phenomenal it was one of those things where it's like hey zach i need i need the concept art for a beacon that you can interact with with wires and everything in like the next 40 minutes i'm going to be done with this model because i i kicked out like together we did so many models but he was just so quick with being able to put out these super detailed models to the point to where I could look at it and go, yeah, that's going to take just exactly this amount of faces. It would take exactly this long to make, which would be about 35 minutes, kick it out, be done. And I'd move on to the next one. And, and I really don't think I would have been able to do that without Zach's fantastic art. Oh, thank you. Uh, I acted basically like a bulldozer, point me in a direction and I'll just move. So, uh, with that, that like, oh, thank goodness. Okay. Style Hi, oh, hey, hey, welcome back. Hey, thank you. Sorry, internet's been funky. <laughs> no worries. Um, but yeah, but, but being able to, to do that, I, I did have, uh, I did, I definitely did have some input in terms of, of like mechanic and stuff like that. Not as much. Um, but in terms of art style, like I said, they just gave me a job and I just, I just ran through whatever needed to be done. Uh, and doing that gave me a lot of freedom because they were just like, well, we have this, we have this idea, we need this, this, and this, uh, and we need it, you know, they would give me like a general time frame of when they needed it, and, I, and I'd get it to them about as soon as possible, and then immediately afterwards, I'd just be like, all right, what else do you guys need? Um, but it, it was, it was uh, a, a great learning experience. Like I said, uh, my first uh, game dev outing, and uh, mm-hmm. would be happy to do so much more. You did a great job, man. Like, seriously, hired this guy. He's very talented and very, very prompt. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I honestly, I'm so, like, thank you so much for uh, talking about this because um, that's what makes you guys, like, a big difference between you guys and other projects is, like, this is, like, the biggest team we've had for a collection. Mm-hmm. And so it's, like, just really nice to hear, uh, like, everything about that, like, all the ins and outs. Yeah, basically, you guys and the Scythe team are the two bigger, biggest teams. I don't know which one's technically bigger. I'm, I'm, I think there's, there's like, our team was four people and a contractor. I think theirs is three, maybe four. Uh, Scythe is five, I believe. Oh, um, really? Okay. Yeah, but I think one of them just left. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, the, the 3D artist is unfortunately no longer going to be with them. Mm, yeah, I think so. But anyway, so the Scythe team makes some really, really cool games. Um, and, you know, they, they, they're more, they've been making games together for a while now, so they're more of a, they have a little bit more experience with all that. So. Mm. Yeah, I definitely think that taking on a project of this uh, scope as like kind of a, but I, I guess you could call it a first outing considering we, I, I basically, like Vestigial was kind of just a two day, like, oh, this is cool. You know, here's a concept. Here it is. Done. 
Um, I think that that starting out with something on this scope, especially with this level of visibility, uh, was definitely an interesting uh, set of circumstances for like a first project. And like like we said, it's Zach's first game outing at all. Um, so you know, it was just it was a really neat thing watching us kind of grow as uh, grow and change and like learn to communicate as a team, uh, even if it was a little rocky sometimes. But you know, I think I think it was uh, I think it was a really good experience for all of us. Like overall, um, even if there were you know a couple of rough moments somewhere in the middle. You know, it's funny because I think that uh, Connor earlier said something along the lines of like, "Oh my God, this digital came out this year. It feels like forever ago." Yeah, I- I'll say is that. Um, you know, when we, when we, the, 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 uh, we, we give developers a little over a month to do the, the development work, the time frame, you know, cause people work at different speeds, at different clips and stuff. But I will say is that, um, if you want to know how little and how much time a month actually is doing something like this, it's like, there's not enough time. There's not enough time that you look back on it. You're like, Oh my God, that felt like forever. You know, it's like, mm. it's kind of, it's very, very interesting. I, it, that's the, but uh, you know, it's it's crazy how much you can get done in a short period of time when you have uh, a a well-oiled machine and a lot of you know focus on it. I, I think it's it's really interesting to see what we've come out with. And I mean, looking at even other games in the collection, I mean, you, you know, like something like Sucker for Love or Charlotte's Exile. It's it's so crazy what these what these guys can make in such a short period of time. You know, mm. yeah. Yeah, that solo dev, man, that, that stuff is always just insane to me. I mean, I, I obviously all of us have had our own moments of solo devving, I think, uh, or at least Aiden and I have on the team. Mm-hmm. Connor, I don't know about you. Anyways, um, but yeah, I think I think that solo dev in its own is a fascinating concept. So, I work better in a team. I, I like the teamwork. I think it does really well. Um, I think I think the fact that we have oh. the, de- the deadline was the overall kind of... Uh, what, what makes game dev work? I did do some solo dev work way back in the day. I started out in Twine. I completely forgot about all that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did make those games. It's, look, it's been a long time, man. Uh, I think. It, it may have only been one or two years. Yeah, clearly, <laughs> has absolutely no concept of time. This got, uh, it didn't used to be this bad. Hmm. Yeah, oh, I know the feeling. So it feels like it literally feels like a lifetime ago that I was at the previous E3, and it was literally it was like only just over a year. But it feels like this has been a very long period of time. I ran a booth at E3. Yeah, exactly. It, it does. It feels like another like a decade ago. Yeah. Dude, yeah, like, I wonder. At you like three months ago. <laughs> <laughs> I met Ted the day the Dreadx Collection One came out. And we had a conversation, and he's just like, let me talk to our CEO. We talked to the CEO, and they're like, you're hired. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> I, I, run, I run things very uh, slapdashedly because I, I, I dumped all my stats into luck. And so <laughs> I just cool. roll on those dice and just, you know, it, it's, work, it's been working out. So Yeah, and I, I adapted to it. I was just like, okay. You know what? I, here's the thing that I think. I, I, I truly believe this. I don't actually think that some people are necessarily luckier than others, but I think is that some people roll the dice more frequently, and yeah. that, that gives more of a chance for them to come up double heads. And 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 like I'm not the the smartest or the most talented person working in even just our collection or whatever. But um, like the the thing is, is like I will just text. Panch Dawes 
and be like, do you want to be in a game? And he'll be like, all right. And then like now we have Panshaws in the collection. Like I just I just keep rolling dice because and, and there were people that I asked and said no. Um, only like two people that I asked said no, but you know most of them say yes. And but that's the thing is like I would never know that unless I just like roll the dice. Fuck it, see what happens. Yeah, you know? that, it just drives me crazy how people are like, I'm scared to go to conventions. I'm scared to post on social media. I'm scared to talk to people. And I'm just like, you are like purposely making yourself smaller and smaller, and you're giving yourself less opportunities. And like the more you do something, the more comfortable you get. So you might as well do it. And so like, I, I have the ex exact same philosophy as Ted. Like I, I just saw John Romero at E3 and I was like, I'm going to go talk to John Romero. And then I learned later, I had something in my teeth the entire time and he was too polite <laughs> to tell me. No, I interviewed, <laughs> I interviewed John Romero last E3 for Empire of Sin. I didn't have a booking with him, but I saw that he was next to Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines and Age of Wonders Planetfall, which I had appointments for. And I was like, can I talk to John Romero? And they're like, just like right now. And I was like, yeah. Like, all right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I interviewed him. It was like it's pretty like I don't know. I think that uh uh I have old man confidence now, which <laughs> confidence isn't isn't necessarily confidence in your ability, but stuff. it is the complete lack of fear because you just don't like you no longer fear rejection anymore. I guess I have old man confidence too, Ted. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, I, I will say something of um I went to college to be an illustrator. Uh, I went to uh, basically a comic book school, a small school in Dover. Cool stuff. Um, but uh, what I was saying, what I'm going to say is that, that what I learned there, one of the biggest things uh, that they taught you was uh, don't be afraid of failure because failure is, as they often say, the, the, the greatest teacher. Well, in terms of freelancing, that's that's doubly so because, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, there's no one else behind you except either you or any friends who support you so like what's the worst that happens if you try something and fail you look like an idiot for a little bit well i mean i look I've, I've looked like an idiot for like half my life and uh it it, uh, it helps yeah i will say though is that you have to actually learn from your failures though because we all know that guy that just doesn't and keeps making the same shit over and over again yeah, absolutely you have to look at how you failed and almost like analyze take notes see what you could have done better uh, it's it's like getting a critique from from professionals or anything like that. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, that's how I ended up in game dev. <laughs> the only thing that was working for me in film was my CGI, so I was like, okay, well, what can I do with that? I can make assets. Well, carry it to games. There we are. Hi. <laughs> Here we are. Here we go. And then uh, and off we all go. Anyways, um, we're coming up on the hour and a half mark, so I think we should probably close it out. But uh, Star, do you have any f uh, questions? Uh. No, I just want them to shout out uh, their, like, Twitters and all that stuff. And, like, whatever, like, else you guys want to shout out, let the world know. Uh, oh, yeah, I was going to say somebody else. Well, how about, how about we, we kind of organize this a little bit? Aiden, why don't you go ahead and go first? I know you got a couple of projects you're working on. All right, yeah. Um, okay, first off, just as an aside, I want to shout out my girlfriend for uh, sitting with me through this whole project. I, I'm sure I was driving her absolutely insane with how, how ridiculous I was being through, like, most of the development cycle. So uh, I love you, babe. Um, uh, but, yeah, so um, my professional work, uh, it can all be found under at uh, rabbitrundev. Um, just, you know, Twitter, uh, my, my portfolio, all that stuff. It's pretty much under rabbit run dev. Uh, my current, uh, endeavor is a game called Photogeist. Uh, it's a solo project of mine where you, uh, explore a mansion and make friends with ghosts and take their pictures. 
Uh, it is currently in uh, semi-open alpha on itch.io, um, but it's actually currently being entirely refactored with the code that I learned from this project. So thank you guys for that. Awesome. It's fucking adorable. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Just imagine You're... 10 years from now, <laughs> like me. <Yeah. laughs> uh, Connor, do you have anything? Uh-oh, you're putting me on the spot. Uh, you can follow me at, at @bustedkeyboards on Twitter. Um, you can check out my itch.io page with a bunch of very strange projects on it at bonsai bonsai b a n z a i b o n s a i uh, on itch.io. Uh, I'm working on, actually, I should say, as of like two days ago, I'm starting a new project after saying I would take a, ga a break from game dev, which happens a lot. Um, so that'll be showing up towards the end of this year. It's not a super long project, and it has not been officially announced. Uh, this is all very secret, um, and I'm legally obligated by my company to tell you to purchase 800 copies of Grounded each. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Grounded! I love that game. Yeah, uh, I hope you love it enough to buy 800 copies. Uh, <laughs> I gotta cut my head off. We should do a we should do a Grounded giveaway at some point. That would be fun. <laughs> there you go. It's, it's a cool. It's a cool game. I really like. I really like it. Um, I but that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> uh, Zach, do you have anything? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram uh, at Zach Online. That's all one word, Z and O are capitalized. It's the same thing on Twitter. Um, and basically from those two pages, you can find everything else I'm doing. And uh, then you can hire actual projects. Yeah. I, uh, most doing freelance stuff. I've, I've got a couple projects underneath the belt, but I uh, can't talk about that just yet. Okay, awesome. Um, yeah, and then I, I will actually see... Um, Blood Machine did our, our animation as well, which I, I believe... Do you know the handle for, yes. for Blood Machine, Nathan? It's a flesh squeeze. <laughs> Pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you search and, for and, Blood Machine, Blood Machine she'll, pop, she'll pop up. Yeah, and Blood, Blood, Blood Machine, I believe, is going to be in the next collection as well, so you, of course you'll... No, don't, don't, don't talk about that. Don't talk about that. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> We're going to have to bleep that out. Cool. Um, Make a note. So, um, my handle is at on Twitter. It is with zeros instead of O's. Um, if you wanted to play any of the games I've done in the past, I do have an itch page as well. That's just a simple Phantom Sloth on there. Um, in the near future, I'll be, of course, putting out lots of content and everything, so be sure to follow. Awesome. Well, uh, guys, I want to thank you so much for uh, joining us. I know that four people is a lot to do the podcast with, but I think I think <laughs> pretty well. I mean, yeah. uh, we, we were able to cover all the good topics, and uh, I only went on a tangent about pirates uh, once, which is good. So uh, I think it we're low. this is just an absolute win for everyone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, guys, um, by the time this airs, Dradex Collection Two will be live on Steam. Um, I'm sure you, everyone listening already bought a copy, bought several copies, as the streamers of the world have all given it a 10 out of 10 perfect score, uh, peering into the future here. Good. And, um, you know, we, we got some really cool stuff, uh, you know, so check, check it out. There's a lot of really cool stuff in there, including The Diving Bell and, uh, you know, another number of other awesome games. And you can hear all about those developers talking about their games on the other podcasts that we've done. Uh, and you can also hear about me falling off of bikes and talking about buff dudes. <laughs> Um, just click on any podcast, and there will be probably at least one story involving either of those topics in any podcast we do. So, anyways, um, 
Thank you all for tuning in. Find the Dread X Collection 2 on Steam. And uh, we've got a lot of other really cool stuff coming down the pipe for you. We, we've already announced that we're working on this uh, horror indie horror game showcase. So if you're an indie horror creator out there and you want to try to get your game shown off the showcase, go ahead and contact us. Uh, you know, we're, we're always looking for, to see what's the new cool stuff in the industry. So um, anyways, guys, thank you so much for uh, tuning in. And we will see you all soon. Bye. 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 And cut. All right, cool. Thank you so much, guys. Thank yeah, thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I think thank that went really, really well. I'm glad that you uh, all were able to come. Yeah. This was a good time. I was. This went so much smoother than I was expecting. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I did tell Aiden I was just going to start yelling in the middle of it and breaking things, and I wasn't going to stop until you kicked me from the conversation. Uh, I forgot to do that. I do that most episodes. Oh. That's usually my role. I, I, I reined in the tangents a little bit. I think the tangents are good a little bit for just variety of content, but I reined it in because I knew there were... I, I could tell. I, I, yeah, was, I was waiting for you to go off the deep end a little bit. It didn't happen. I thought Smart. the history lesson was going to be it. Well, the thing is, is that Star right now has a gun to my cat's head, and every time I started, I started going on a tangent. She looked at me and she made that wrap it up hand signal, and then like <laughs> the gun closer and closer to my kitty's head, who is a cat, had no idea of the impending danger. So he's just you know licking himself like a like a sweet little animal, has no idea of the near death right there. Anyways, the old cat uh, gun trick. Yeah, that sounds like something I would do. Yeah. Anyways, guys, uh, I gotta get going, so I will talk to you all later. All right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. The author of the edits provided these examples of possible circumcision symbolism. Many things in the Nightmare Hospital could be interpreted as horrific and traumatic circumcision metaphors and symbols, and a result of a barbaric, torturous, and inhumane procedure which should be banned and illegal worldwide. Bloody forceps on a stretcher. Possible phallic slash penis symbolism. Possible anesthesia symbolism. Syringes, needles, pills, and bloody rags. Possible foreskin symbolism. That is a big ass force. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And it's basically the same size as Henry. A figure is strange, much like how babies must be restrained. There is also a possibility that the greedy worm monster has phallic symbolism and may be symbolic of a circumcised mutilated penis. The greedy worm monster appears throughout many of the worlds in the game and it may be symbolic of a monstrous circumcised mutilated penis searching for its missing foreskin and the despair and horror of never being able to find and retrieve it. In other words, a man who feels violated and incomplete.